Number one, the bank wanted drug screen for everyone on the crew before they forward the money. A piss test? Yes, a piss test. I'll have what she's having. Okay, we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what we're talking about? Not a superhero movie for the first time in what seems like forever. Was that the last one? Was well, it Spider-Man? Spider-Man, yeah, was the last one. That feels like so long ago already. So good at putting out content. Well, I just meant like as far as release dates. Yeah. Well, again, this is like a week after um, this movie came out anyway, because we are Slack. And we were talking to, we, and we, I think we told everyone what we're talking about. Um mm. This was on the schedule, probably one of our most anticipated movies of the year um, yeah, by one of our favorite filmmakers. So. Um, we're talking about Wes Anderson's newest, latest, pretty good movie, Asteroid City, um, with might with what might have the best cast of the year, um, at least the deepest cast of the year, as uh, many Wes Anderson movies do. Um, they're like superstar studded films this year. I'm trying to think. I feel like Oppenheimer and Barbie aren't that star-studded. Well, Opp- Oppenheimer might be up there, too. Uh, sure. But this movie basically is Oppenheimer. Well, Should we just end yes. the now? In a lot of ways, yes. All right. Taika, I'm going to open the floor up to you, because uh, I'm very curious to see or hear what you have to say. What did you think of uh, Asteroid City? Give me your uh, two cents. So, yeah, this one, I, I definitely feel like, just in broad strokes, not to, like, really spoil anything right off the bat, but, mm-hmm. I mean, from the first five seconds, you can tell that <laughs> Wes is a little playing inside baseball on this one with having mm-hmm. the whole stage production intro and everything. Um, I do feel like uh, it's the first Wes Anderson film in a while. Honestly, like I was trying to think if I could think of any other films that do this that like really asks a question instead of just being like, "Here's some characters," and that's not railing on his movies. Like he has some some of my favorite movies, but like I don't come out of Grand Budapest Hotel wondering something about life. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you thought this one. Uh... Had a little more substance to it. Yeah, but I mean, as you go into that territory, though, intrinsically, it's a little bit more, like, less emotionally pleasing, I guess, because it's not, you know, an open and shut story where it's trying to bring you to an emotional uh, destination. And so, yeah, I'm a little, like, on the fence about this one. I haven't fully decided how I feel about it in comparison to his other works. Yeah, um, I I liked it a lot. Uh, I did uh, dial back my rating of it from my initial rating when I saw it. I think I was just kind of in like a, the perfect mood to see it when mm. I saw it. And I loved it the entire time I was in the theater. And I kind of sat with it for a little bit. And I thought about it some more and more. And I did have a couple issues that came up as I reflected, uh, but overall, I think it's like a really quality movie and, and, and people were the, the marketing behind it was Wes Anderson's best movie to date. Um, yeah. which, which it's not. Um, but I do think it is in like the top half, uh, of his movies. Um, at first I was like, is this like top three? Um, and then I quickly, thought about it and was like no i can't i can't come and 
and say that. But it is, I think, like one of his um uh better pieces, and I think it's one of his most complete pieces of work. Um, as far as uh tonally and uh, ambition, ambitiously, I don't know how was whatever the right correct uh uh phrase for that would be. Yeah. Uh, but I think that this comes together. Um, and it's pretty neat for for what he's trying to do, even though it is um, kind of an ambitious way oh. to tell a story that he. This isn't anything new for Wes Anderson to do, uh, but he is trying to kind of dig up some common themes that he normally talks about in a in a little bit of a different way, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about. I guess just the the setting of the movie uh quick. Um so what's different about Asteroid City than like the Royal Tenenbaums, the Grand Budapest Hotel or some of his other like more achieved works. Um and this seems to be something that he's been more interested in lately in his later films, especially I guess the French Dispatch, his last film is like he's doing like a really meta approach to storytelling where he's like you were talking about the inside baseball stuff. Uh yeah. this is a film about the making of a play that <laughs> is being shot as a movie. Yeah, uh, it's about like the a, play. It's like a documentary about a play. But yeah it's so, so confusing yeah he I, keeps he, recently yeah like you said he's been telling stories about telling stories not yeah. just telling stories you know he I mean? really likes telling stories about telling stories <laughs> um and I, I i didn't really pick this up while i was watching i only i only saw it one time i was planning on seeing it again but I yeah the time. um because i really want to see it again um which is why, why i do think this I mean, has I'm a lot of re- rewatchable value to it um, unlike the Fre- French Dispatch, I didn't really have that much of an interest in returning to it. I think I did watch French Dispatch twice, but it's that's I fucking love French Dispatch on HBO Max. Um, but what was I saying? Uh, this the way that he's the way that I heard it explained um, from a third party was that which is even more meta than I thought. I didn't realize when watching it, but it's yeah, uh, a movie about the making of a movie about a play about um, like how it's made. Uh, or maybe I got uh-huh. that order mixed up or something. But yeah, uh, but yeah, but that's, yeah. What so I'm, th- that's literally what it's like watching the movie is you waste a lot of like mental, like that's why I'm like, I need to watch it again to really know how I feel about it. Cause yeah, lot, lot half of, of my focus was just on, are we inside the play? And like, uh, especially something he's playing with here that he didn't play with in like French Dispatch, for instance, is like, he tells us that he's telling us a story about telling a story, but at the same time, it's really up to your, you know, discerning whether or not the actors are still acting or if they've stopped acting in certain mm-hmm. points or if they're being told to stop acting as part of the act. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's definitely him playing with that more than I've ever seen. Yeah. Like in, and people, I think uh, a general audience kind of brushes it off. Um, because 
of like Wes Anderson's like playful tone um, that we're just, we're kind of we give him um, kind of some room to breathe uh, compared to some other filmmakers. You're like, oh, that's just like how Wes operates or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like we're we're expecting there to be some playfulness within the movie, um, but like if a different filmmaker told a story like this in not his dollhouse style, people would be like, oh, this is like a Christopher Nolan, like fucking memento, uh, inception fucking, uh, mind fuck. Like mind. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be taken a little more seriously, I think, but because it's Wes Anderson, it's just, oh, that's to be expected or, or, it, oh, he's just being playful. Um, yeah. Well, what's so interesting I, is, as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, if Quentin Tarantino would do that movie, how would I feel about it? And almost positive, I would say his head is up his own ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because, yeah, it's uh, it. There's a lot going on here. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to re uh, retread my own thought processes here. But there's not as much going on in Asteroid City as uh, the French Dispatch. Uh, And uh, there is a lot packed into this movie, but it does seem like there is like a a pretty common uh, through line that does kind of tie everything, tie everything together pretty well. I think. What would you say that is? Well, just like the, the, the alien invasion. Well, the narrative is tighter than, obviously than like the french dispatch because that's like a collection of short stories yeah um yeah. so it's kind of more spread out more chaotic uh where asteroid city is at least we're all we're all in the same place for the most part for like the 85 percent of the movie uh and even though it, it does seem a little um convoluted with how many characters there are and how many different relationships and stories there are throughout the movie and and trying to track that can be a lot it it doesn't seem as exhausting to me as the French dispatch or, but mm. it, it, but it isn't as convenient. I will say as like the Royal Tenenbaums where we have like a family um, it's, that is more straightforward, but this is playing again with um, a lot of pieces here. Uh, but before we get too into that, let's just quickly talk about um kind of the setup of asteroid city so it'll be a little easier mm-hmm. to um talk about some actually details. discuss it yeah yeah so uh the story of asteroid city is um and i'm gonna fucking say actor names because i don't remember anyone's character name <laughs> yeah, um yeah. uh jason schwartzman uh in his uh immediate family of kids uh three daughters which are very funny uh and uh, his son they are were hilarious yeah um are Car breaks down and they are uh, in a small town on Asteroid City, which they are there for his son's it's uh, like science festival. Uh, a group of brainiac children are being celebrated um, in the middle of nowhere in the desert. Um, yeah. And uh, they are marooned there because their car breaks down. And uh, um, while what is normally a desolated area uh, with a hotel that is probably hardly ever occupied uh, is now flooded with a group of very eccentric characters for, for this um, um, event in on uh, asteroid day 
uh, in this uh, science-driven little community. Uh, and they're visited by a alien um, played by Jeff Goldblum, um, which I didn't realize it was him <laughs> was really while funny. I was watching it. But I was looking for Jeff Goldblum the whole time, but whatever. Uh, and uh, they are quarantined in this little town for a week and um forced to deal with the acknowledgement of extraterrestrial life and what is the meaning of life all while um coming to the conclusion not really coming to the conclusion but coming to the or the having the knowledge being dropped on them that their mother has passed away um and and kind of fighting with what is life and and the meaning of of everything to only be described as a very meta line uh about the the play uh being about uh what, what do you say uh about infinite inf- infinity and uh, infinity? wait yeah wait what was, what the line? was that part again yeah they which i remember is that what the playwright said it was about yeah and um which that we should throw in Everything that we're discussing here doesn't exist. Asteroid City doesn't exist. None of it exists. You know, I'm kind of wondering. I'm going to ask a question now that we're talking about this. Um, so I know some complaints that people have about Wes Anderson is that he's kind of removed from reality at this point in his career. Like French Dispatch takes place in a made-up town. Grand Budapest Hotel is a made-up place. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Like he makes these little worlds and sets the dramas in these worlds. Do you think that this movie might be him uh, engaging in dialogue with like those people that don't like his work and saying, you know, I'm going to tell you that this is all made up. I'm going to explain to you that this is all made up. And then you're going to see how even these characters in this made up world are being affected by this story. A little bit. I do think it is a little bit of a message to uh, the people who... Uh, I think a common criticism of Wes is um, that his style is most of his content is focused on his, his visual style and not his like narrative style or his yeah. style. Or, yeah. And that his style is, I think we've talked about this before, but like made for people who can't recognize other style um like <laughs> other filmmaker style that, yeah. um which i think is silly um but i do think there is so much fatigue right now um especially because of all of the ai stuff and everyone um the commentary behind his style where he is kind of reaching out a little bit to say um i don't know i don't really know what he's trying to say that's what I'm saying. It, <laughs> it, it, it could be that I don't care. It could be that your opinion doesn't mean that to me. Uh, like yeah. I, what do you think? So um, I'm just going to get straight to kind of the emotional decision that I came to with this film. Or like what I decided the emotionality of this film means to me. Um, so to me... The actual like beating heart of this film is uh, between Jason Schwartzman and Edward Norton's characters. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Not so where do you I remember? You were going with that. Yeah. Do you remember early on when he auditions for him and then he takes off his pants and then yeah. they start hooking up? Yeah. So that stuck with me as far as like, okay, so that's the star of this documentary about this play. And the whole time I kept thinking to myself that like something must be going on here because like, and I think if you go back and watch, I would almost guarantee you that the performance that Jason Schwartzman is delivering in the film is decidedly lower energy than his audition and like a different energy entirely because it kind of made sense to me eventually when it was revealed that Edward Norton's character passed away since the making of this play. Okay. So to me, what's actually going on in this movie is that this is a tale about Jason Schwartzman getting over his wife's untimely death that in reality is Augie Steinbeck, the actor, yeah. Or wait, is that or Jones Hall the actor? Whoever I think it's Augie Steinbeck. Augie Stein uh Steinbeck is the character that Jason Schwartzman plays in the movie, like in like the Asteroid City play. Okay, so Jones Hall, the actor that Jason yeah, Schwartzman is, is playing in the black is and white part. Actually mourning and going through a depression and he's going through the phases of this play the same way that one would go through the phases of life if their loved one died. So, so you read it as as uh, his the character that Jason Schwartzman uh, plays the the real actor that is portraying mm-hmm. um, is not his acting. character. He is uh, in real in the hypothetical real life of uh, the production. The hypothetical real life is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he is grieve his the his characters the actor of the character is <laughs> is grieving in real real life time yeah through the character of augie stein back in the play yes okay that was fucking hard to get out yeah in an easier way to put it uh the only person who's not acting in the film is jason yeah. schwartzman's character everyone yeah. else is actors doing their job he is actually attempting to process his grief, which I feel like is identified by like when he's talking with Ed Norton about why Augie puts his hand on the uh, on the grill. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I think he did it for this reason. And then later in the film, when he actually burns his hand, uh, Scarlett Johansson goes, why did you do that? And he goes, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, I think he literally can't remember why he's doing what he's doing. But that being said, I really like had to think about it. And the only reason I came up with that as my interpretation is because uh, the ending completely baffled me. Can we talk about the ending? Yeah. Um, uh, what so, do you want to continue? Yeah, yeah, the, just... Specifically the conversation with Margot Robbie. Uh, where they're on, like, the balconies. Yeah, and they are describing what should be the climax of the movie that's not happening. Yeah. And talking about how he would go to an alien planet and see his wife again, and they would talk and joke and, like, come to terms with her passing, and everything would have this, like, nice button on it, and then he would go back to Earth. And... Uh, on one hand, I feel that 
Wes Anderson is intentionally because I couldn't make sense of why he wouldn't just do that because that would have been like insanely like beautiful like uh-huh. like why Wes Anderson making an alien planet like that would have been uh-huh. insane. But I feel like obviously the easy interpretation he is representing how you can't always like sometimes people just pass you don't get the closure that you wanted yeah. you're not going to get the visit to the alien planet. But on top of that, I feel like that conversation as well is Augie Stein or Jason Hall, the actor acting in this play that we're watching. That was an actual candid conversation and him getting the closure through the reciting of the lines for the passing of Ed Norton. Okay. Interesting. Um, well, that is you, like uh, probably the biggest like through line uh, yeah. of, of the. Um, the theme the themes is is grief like being like the biggest one and all of these like really emotionally stunted people and not being able to describe how they feel or like Mm -hmm. uh communicate with the people they love about how they feel and it, it does make sense uh when you look at it through that lens that he doesn't get that uh nice buttoned up closure um and because that would be too even too unrealistic for this made up world. <laughs> yeah. Um I will also say that the evidence that really sticks with me, like one of the most jarring things I've like can think of was that lens change in that scene. Did you peep that? Uh I don't recall. So, uh they have that whole conversation and then he cuts to close-ups of Wes Anderson and Jason Schwartz Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. And he's very obviously, I don't know if I've ever seen Wes Anderson use that lens. I'm guessing it's anamorphic. I don't actually know what fucking anamorphic lenses are and whatnot. But like, I could see like every pore in like Margot Robbie and Wes Anderson or and uh, Jason Schwartzman's faces. Yeah. And then on top of that, like, just like, you know what I mean? You know how like, I, I don't know enough about fucking lenses, but you know how like as you like change the, uh, what the fuck do you call it? The uh, degrees? What the fuck is the lenses? What is the like the, the millimeter? Again? Yeah, as you change the millimeter, how the face kind of goes from like the nose pushing out to yeah, like how the cheeks coming the forward. Yeah, like like Margot Robbie and Jason Schwartzman didn't look like Margot Robbie and Jason Schwartzman in that scene, and it very jarringly made me realize that Wes Anderson was using a completely different lens from what he normally uses, which to me. I think that that means that that scene that we watched there is the only scene that wasn't filmed in quote unquote, the documentary. I think that's why the lens changes is because when he walked out on that uh, balcony to talk Mm -hmm. to Margot Robbie is that that is no longer inside the documentary and he changed the lens. He broke like a third layer of, of something and we've entered. I have to, I have to, I have to believe that because I started to wonder, um, if even that scene was part of the play and i was like and that's just too mind-bending that fucks up the entire film for me if that's part of the play as well yeah i don't uh i think you've thought about this one scene a lot more than i have <laughs> yeah. uh, i think a lot more than most people have yeah um but no it's interesting i never i wouldn't have never thought about that um but uh let's backtrack a little bit away from the yeah. ending um in 
focus on uh, we'll conclude our talk about grief quick because uh, I think there's just so much to do um, with that. Obviously, like this is another film where Wes Anderson has uh, is focusing the, of the loss of a parent. Um, that seems mm. to be like one of his biggest like themes throughout uh, his yeah, whole yeah. filmography. Um, and uh, is that the case in Royal Tenenbaums as well? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like the dad is dying allegedly. Uh, that's kind of what they're exploring. Like they're it's like they're like pre grieving the the death of someone who is yeah. like not really dying. Um, and uh, there's also like the same kind of little romance is like moonrise kingdom a little bit like it's kind of very reminiscent of that to me this feels like a lot of bits and pieces from like a lot of his movies like thrown together in this uh this world of of the in the desert um yeah yeah i was getting like certain moonrise kingdom vibes but honestly beyond that this felt like well, you do have the whole, like, diorama sets and everything that's, like, very much like Grand Budapest and French Dispatch. But a lot of this, to me, felt like very much a departure. Again, just in the asking questions. It feels like, honestly, the last film that I can remember him asking a question is Darjeeling Limited. You really? I mean? Huh. Like, yeah. When I look at maybe... Another movie about the last of the Rushmore? Did Rushmore kind of ask a question about like love and shit? Yeah, I think Rushmore. Royal Bombs open and shut. Life Aquatic open and shut. Follow Rocket, French Dispatch, Grand Budapest, Moonrise Kingdom. All those are just straightforward. Here's the point. Uh, Well, I think that's a little oversimplification. Um, It is. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do think a lot of those movies ask questions about like. Yeah. I I think I think Rushmore uh, for sure is like what is love and versus infatuation and, and, and yeah, what does it really true. mean to um, care about someone? And uh, the, the question of like uh, status and, and everything, I think it's brought up through a lot of his films. Um, but yeah, this one, the question is, is bigger than just um, in more abstract, I think. And I think that's the, where the gravity comes in because, this is really about. I mean, they said it, said it best. It's it's a, an infinite question that has no possibility of being answered, yeah. uh, which I think plays into what we were talking about before, where it's not a buttoned up story because there is no easy way to button up an an unanswerable question about like what is life and what's the meaning of life. Yeah. Uh, uh, how does one deal? with the uh limitlessness of the universe um but yeah i overall though i thought this was like very charming uh and uh, one of his more funny movies i thought did you think it was funny yeah very much so i i'm, I'm I, I keep going back and forth i wish i gotta look at like who is his co-writer in a lot of these films because like when i think about like funniest films by him like Bottle Rocket, obviously Owen Wilson's co-writing. Yeah, like that's just gonna be broad comedy. Life Aquatic, Life it Aquatic has very like, one of one comedy. Of Noah Baumbach, right? Mm-hmm. With him. And it's like this one. I feel like whenever it's him and Roman Coppola, right? Yeah, Roman Coppola, that's the co-writer. I feel like anytime it's those twos, 
the jokes are always just like real fucking quick and no pause to like let you even think about it. Uh, the one that I've been, me and Hannah have been saying to each other nonstop is the uh, Tilda Swinton. I wish I, what is it? It's like, I wish. I wish I thought I should have had kids. <laughs> yeah. It's like sometimes I. Uh, no, I wonder if I wish I should have. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of. I wish I should have had kids. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, no, this was like very much like my style of comedy. Like I was laughing yeah. like a lot throughout the whole movie. Um, even, even though uh, all of the jokes kind of aren't super funny, it's just, uh, all the deliveries I thought were great. Um, Yeah. But that's what, like, that's deadpan delivery. That's what works for Wes is it's like, he doesn't tell a joke and then stop and wait for you to laugh. Like how like a Will Ferrell movie would be. Yeah. I mean, it's just constant. So it's like, you'll get a laugh here and there. And it's like, it's, but it's building the whole time. You know what I mean? And what I, I, I might, uh, I laugh out loud at something that you might like not think it's funny at all. Yeah, yeah. And it's just because like that build up hit me at a different like rate than it hit you or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you really can pick also that out. that that kid hmm? was was geeking me out. The kid who was you know dare me to yeah yeah that kid, and he's goes on that whole emotional diatribe about uh I like I just want people to know that I'm here and that's why I dare blah blah. blah. Should I go hug that cactus? Like no, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all the kids were great in this. Um, yeah, which usually isn't the case for this podcast. Um, yeah, honestly, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Let's talk about the cast. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna. A, I'm not gonna read it off uh, because there's just 25 names uh, that I yeah. don't care to recite. Um, but. Who were some of the people that stood out to you? Um. Oh, Scarlett Johansson. So obviously, an amazing actress. Obviously, uh, um, the Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson. That's where I thought you were going to say the combo uh, earlier. Yeah. Um, they carry the majority of the film, and they're fantastic. Um, this is one of the best ScarJo performances I think in a long time, probably since Marriage Story. Um. And yeah, absolutely blew me away. I thought Tom Hanks is really good also. Um, and this is his first Wes Anderson movie, which I could see him like fitting into like the, that Bill Murray mold, like perfectly. Um, even though like historically a little less of a comedic actor, um, he plays that part. Great. Yeah. Holy Jeffrey shit, Wright. That was Lee Schreiber. I guess I didn't even like really realize that was him. He was really good. I thought Jeffrey Wright was great as like the general or like the military yeah. official. Jeffrey uh, Wright, I was always kind of like, yeah, this is a good actor. And then he started working with Wes and he's fucking like napalm with Wes. It's crazy. Yeah, he, he delivers it like deadpan like perfectly. Yeah. Um, it's just the voice too. Like I, I still to say, permit me to mentally dog ear the page <laughs> from when he's telling a story in fucking French Dispatch. Uh-huh. He fucking, yeah. Literally, you can just tell that fucking Wes loves hearing Jeffrey Wright say shit well, that he wrote down. that's because Wes is a person that has ears. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Everyone, like, listening to fucking Jeffrey Wright. Um, I thought Maya Hawk had, like, a one of, like, the most, like, underappreciated performances. Like, she was, I would have loved... She had such loved... a quiet role, you know? Uh-huh. I would have like, loved to... really do much, but... Just have, like, more time with her yeah. and, what was that, Montana, uh, the other yeah. dude? 
Um, like that could have been their own little uh, movie independently. It's just them two. Uh, I was like craving yeah. more of like that. Uh, even though it had like nothing to do with like the actual story. Um, I just liked spending time with them. And if, and if I probably would have critiqued it if they gave me more because it didn't make sense for the story. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that was just a really good dynamic they had. Yeah. Like I saw someone, uh, I was going to bring this up earlier. I forgot to, uh, somebody who reviews, I really respect on Letterboxd. Uh, but I was wondering about a way that he wrote this one, his review of Asteroid City. He said, uh, like blah, blah, blah. It's not, the characters don't have like, you know, wants and goals and aims. It's just a mosaic of like people interacting with each other, yada, yada. And like, that's so cool. And I was like, I feel like if you said that about any other uh, director, that would 1 million percent be a negative. Yeah. Like if you were like, none of the characters have a reason to do anything <laughs> in the film. But that being said, I do think Maya Hawk's character is like a perfect demonstration of that where it's like, yeah, she's just kind of hanging out and it leaves you wanting more of the character rather than, like, which... Yeah, I wonder if that is something to do with, again, the whole idea of grief and, like, you know, we're getting a slice of these people's lives and not actually, like, a full character arc from start to finish of this person started as this person and became this person and then they ride off into the sunset and that's the end. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Montana just shows up, nothing really changes about his life the entire time, and then he nope, leaves. he just, just happens to be quarantined there too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I a couple more shout outs. Um, Jake Ryan, uh, Woodrow, uh, the son, I thought was yeah. awesome. Is this like his debut? I've never. I feel like I've never seen him. He apparently was in Moonrise Kingdom, he but was in uncut gems. I'm looking at the yeah, letterbox right now. He's in a lot of stuff, but I don't recognize him in anything. Um, he probably had a lot of minor roles. This has got to be his first like uh, lead uh, to this extent. Um, yeah, definitely. But I thought he fit the the Wes Anderson mold. Awesome. One million and percent. Yeah, I'm literally, sure he literally looks like a small version of Jason Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say he's like uh, what Jason Schwartzman was in like Rushmore. Like I'm sure like Wes is gonna use him in like oh yeah uh, going going forward. He's probably but he, how old do you think he is? He's got to be like what, 20. 17. But yeah, judging off how long he's been acting, he has to be older than that. Yeah. Look it up quick. Jake Ryan, actor, age. Holy shit, I can't fucking type. He's like 34. Oh, that's a different Jake Ryan. I just said 40, and I was like, I'm going to throw up. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, Jason Schwartzman's 43. Jake Ryan is... Yo, I literally think nobody knows this guy's age. I can't find it anywhere. It doesn't say on Letterboxd. I feel like it usually says, like, when they're born. I literally think nobody knows. <laughs> it's a mystery. It he's is going to turn out that he's, like, 40. He's an alien. Like, yeah, best kept secret. Um, 2002 then, is the only number I'm seeing. So 21. Okay. Um, and then, stemming off of uh, the main cast, I do want to talk about Adrian Brody. Uh... I thought that he was great in the other black and white section about like mm. a troubled director or whatever the fuck he's playing. Yeah. Uh, it, who, again, grieving the loss of his wife, not the loss, but like the, the breakup of his yeah, wife yeah. and uh, like the uh, how complicated uh, life and relationships can be. Um, but 
what that really in in so that Adrian Brody the uh very minor Willem Dafoe performance uh in Edward just to add real quick literally Willem Dafoe and Adrian Brody are doing what they seem to always do when called upon in a Wes Anderson film which is like heavy lifting for like five scenes and then yeah Um, so like those two and then the Edward Norton writer character, kind of like the, that main like trio of uh, the people who are the off screen characters, like the people who are like behind the scenes, like writing and directing and making the production mm-hmm. and the black and white. Because um, really what this movie seems to be about in a lot of ways is like the relationship of actors and directors. Um that's really exploring and which is like a, a whole nother like commentary on Wes having the ability to like get anyone he fucking wants to be in his movies and everyone will show up to mm-hmm. say, you know, two lines and be in fucking three minutes of screen time. Uh, I think that there is, it's really interesting to, to watch them like have their own uh, breakdowns and uh, struggles like off, quote unquote off screen uh I'm about something that is literally uh Wes probably has to deal with all the time. I'm getting a uh five minute remaining time on our which we've never Why had are they before. canceling our asses. Yeah, right. Um is there anything else you wanna Um I'm trying to think. Um, I just wanted to real quick ask you, Rushmore is your favorite Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. Do you want to quickly do like a rank and end? Well, yeah, just cause I, I was just going to bring up, I think it's interesting. Tell me what your ranking is real quick. Like just in broad strokes where this lands, you know what I mean? Um, I would probably put it five, five. Okay. Out of 11 total. Yeah. Do you want to like quickly go from like back my 11th to like one? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Isle of Dogs is last. Mm. Um, I think it's fine. Uh, I think all all of his movies are good. All of his movies are good. Isle of Dogs, I just feel like is the one that it will permanently be in the bottom. Uh, next is French Dispatch. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's, I like French Dispatch, but it's just, this is hilarious. Our lists are going to be almost completely inverted. I'm sure. Narratively, it's just kind of all over the place. Uh, Mm -hmm. next after that, I, let me look at his quickly pull up his filmography. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I could do mine too, because I have my list pulled up in front of me right here. All right. You go quick. So 11th, Darjeeling Limited for me, Uh, 10th, Isle of Dogs, 9th, currently, Asteroid City. And again, not a bad movie by any means. It could very well move up a couple spots if I watch it again or think about it more. Mm -hmm. 8th, I have Rushmore, 7th, Fantastic Mr. Fox, 6th, Moonrise Kingdom, 5, Royal Tenenbaums, 4, Life Aquatic, 3, Bottle Rocket, 2, French Dispatch one Grand Budapest. Damn, uh, we're gonna have a very different list. Um, <laughs> okay, we're doing Isle of Dogs, French Dispatch. Um, we're doing Darjeeling Limited. Mm. Um, we are doing Bottle Rockets, um, uh, Life Aquatic. Um, 
I don't have it like in order. I'm just looking at the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Uh, then we're doing. What is that? Uh, where am I at right now? Um, um, you already said Life Aquatic, right? Yeah. So I have... you already say Tenenbaums. No. Uh, you so... have Tenenbaums, Fox, Rushmore, Moonrise, and Grand Budapest left. So that's five. I think so. Wait. So then I'm gonna go. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm gonna go Fantastic Mr. Fox next. Okay. Then I'm gonna go Asteroid City. Dang. Then, I, then I'm gonna go Grand Budapest. Then I'm gonna go Moonrise Kingdom, okay. Royal Tenenbaums, and uh, Rushmore. Damn. I thought you loved Fantastic Mr. Fox. I do. I do. You could so put you that. Love Asteroid City. I like it a lot. Um, what did you rate it? You gave it three and a half stars. I think I saw. Yeah, three and a half right now. Which I'm like, I'm not sure that I don't like it more than Rushmore, but I have to stand on the fact that I thought Rushmore's four stars when I watched it. So I'm like, well, it has to be under it then. But I'm like, <laughs> I could definitely see it going above it after I think. I gave this um movie Asteroid City four stars. I initially gave it four and a half, mm. and I had to bring it back down because I do yeah. think that it can be a little confusing with all of the meta narratives that was going through um, yeah but i did really I mean, enjoy i'm like i'm like this is one where like i can tell my rating isn't gonna go up anytime soon but i could literally see it going up like a full star on a rewatch just because i'll be able to sit down actually focus. oh one last thing we need to talk about okay this we have one, one minute re- we have one minute remaining do you oh, want shit. to end this and start another recording well, I wanted to talk about that, uh, the whole going to sleep, waking up thing from the acting class. Oh, yeah, that was weird. I literally think that that might be the key to the whole film. How so? Uh, I, that's what I mean. It's like one of those things where it's like, in the moment, I didn't really understand Willem Dafoe's monologue. And I didn't really know what to make of it. And then come the time when at the end of the film when everyone is like repeating over and over again you can't wake up if you don't go to sleep or whatever mm-hmm. and i'm like all right well something there has everything to do with what's going on at that point in the film but i missed it number one the bank wanted drug yeah. screen for everyone on the crew before they forward the money a piss test yes a piss test. i'll have what she's having <laughs>